Hello and welcome to Plot Twists. This is Lane. This is Ned. And today we're reviewing Morning Glory Milking Farm by CM Nacosta. This was published in 2021 and is the first in the Cambert Creek series. And uh, this is a little bit of a departure for us. We're doing this for you, listeners. So this is available via Kindle Unlimited. Yeah, so if you're if you're a subscriber or if you have a free trial, you can read the book if you still want to after our episode. And Meg has let me know that it is very of the moment and of the zeitgeist, and we have to talk about it. Uh, I'm not the only one who told her it's in the zeitgeist. One of her knitting club members also said that it's in the zeitgeist. <laughs> I don't exist on Instagram very often, so I'm out of the loop. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, let's read the book jacket. Violet is a typical down-on-her-luck millennial, mid-twenties, overeducated and drowning in debt, on the verge of moving into her parents' basement. When a lifeline appears in the form of a very unconventional job in neighboring Cambert Creek, she has no choice but to grab at it with both hands. Morning Glory Farm offers full-time hours, full benefits, and generous pay with no experience needed. There's only one catch. The clientele is grade A certified prime beef with the manly, meaty endowments to match. Hands-on work with Minotaurs isn't something Violet ever considered as a career option, but she's determined to turn the opportunity into a reversal of fortune. When a stern, deep-voiced client begins to specifically request her for his sessions at the farm, maintaining her professionalism and keeping him out of her dreams is easier said than done. Violet is resolved to make a dent in her student loans and afford name-brand orange juice, and a one-sided crush on an out-of-her-league minotaur is not part of her plan, unless her feelings aren't so one-sided after all. Uh, I think I there's nothing wrong with this book jacket. <laughs> yeah, I, I without going so far as to say she's giving hand jobs, it implies it explicitly enough that if you're not picking it up, that's on you. And I actually <laughs> think this book jacket does a good job at touching on one of the things that I think bothered Meg and I a little bit about this book. And we were literally just talking about it before we started recording. She is a very normal millennial girl with very normal millennial problems that we have read about in a lot of other books, like modern day romances, which usually aren't our cup of tea. And it's just, you know, she's thinking about things. Like, it's sort of treated like this is an interracial relationship or something. Yes. Ex yes. Except he's a minotaur. It's a, it is an interracial relationship in that he's, he's, another species interspecies relationship it's not an right. interracial there we I go. think like that's what it's but it's treated as if like they just have to navigate the fact that sometimes people are going to stare at them on the street and their families may not understand and they're definitely more welcome in a community with other interspecies couple like it was a very uncomfortable parallel for me yeah. and it's sort of like for all that this book was supposed to be really fantastical and there are vampires and werewolves and minotaurs and bug people walking around like the core was supposed to be this incredibly relatable thing and it was giving me whiplash. Yes. I, we were just saying, I was just saying that I've 
I feel like I either wanted to go like even further and be like, oh, I'm in this wacko bonkers fantasy world Mm -hmm. or I had to pull back a little bit. I'm not sure where it would have pulled back, to be honest. I, if he was not Minotaurs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, this is our monster romance. This is plot Trist's first monster romance. We don't count any of the million Beauty and the Beast retellings we've read. (laughs) Nope. Because so, we make the rules. I mean, we can't. We can't count them. There are no other, there are no actual monsters. We've done vampire. Right. But it's the way it was, the ones that we've read haven't been the traditional monster vampire. Right. And we did the blue aliens, but again. That's alien romance. It's not yeah. monster romance. <laughs> I'm sorry, the subcategories are so specific. I'm trying to drop in parallel. They are. They're very specific. Well, as usual, we generated a random number and then wrote our own summaries using that number as the limit. And for this week, the number we generated was 16. So do you wanna you wanna start us off, Lane? Sure. Violet's problems are solved by a new job and new man because she's good at hand jobs. Guys, I feel like we have to repeat this over and over. We do not look at each other's summaries before we write <laughs> our own. Here's mine. Developing a crush on your favorite Minotaur hand job client is a recipe for heart and body break. There were several times during the scenes that I think were supposed to be sexy otherwise that I was just like, Ow! Ow! No! <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I agree. So that's <laughs> where my head was at. Yeah, no, I, you can't not think about it. And Nescosta makes it so that you're, she wants you to think about it. It's not yeah, something that she's trying to like She hide. did not want you to think about it the way I was. That's probably true. Because... So first of all, this whole book's about hand jobs, and we will discuss a lot of things, but I just have to state this. She describes his dick as wider than a soda can. It, it's gigantic, yeah. Like, not just, like, my brain was like, that is the size of a baby's head. Well, and she also describes it as getting bigger yeah. towards the bottom. Like, in the middle. Like, it's not... Nothing about this was even sort of comfortable. I was like, she's going to rip parts of her anatomy. Right? Yes. Yeah. That's true. So anyway, well, I have a lot of other criticisms that we will get into. (laughs) But I just need to discuss, when we're talking about, like, the descriptions of, like, it's not just like, oh, he's the biggest she's ever had. Like, this was in nothing about it was sexy. It was so large. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Uh, tropes. This is, I said it was a workplace romance. <laughs> and I said, ha, 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 we're more specifically pretty woman. <laughs> it's, it is, I mean, it's not exactly pretty woman, right? She gets tips. He treats her to stuff. Right, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't hire her to be his date for like a week. No, but she's hired she's not she's specially requested by him that's true there are rules about what sexual contact they can engage in yes 
put in place by the workplace, not by her. I'm not saying it's a perfect pretty woman comparison, but it's not not a pretty woman comparison. Well, it's it's a prostitution comparison. It's not pretty woman. Because pretty woman is like a Cinderella. Anyway, it's a whole thing. I take issue simply with the pretty woman part, not with the prostitution part. Okay, I think there's a little bit of Cinderella. Meeting him really does turn her life around. Well, yeah, because he's... It's a whole client thing. It's a whole client... It's a workplace romance in that he's a client. Yes. And they try to keep it professional, but then, you know, they run into each other outside of the workplace and kind of hit it off, but they still have to be professional in the workplace, you know? Except they're they're not really. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, He's a stern brunch daddy, to use the parlance of our time. Please describe this in more. Like, I think I get it, but what? Basically, a stern brunch daddy is like, sort of like a dom, but like nice. Kind of like Sir Ross. Sir Ross Cannon. Okay. Like, he'll take charge of your life, make sure everything is going well. He's the kind of guy who takes his brood out to brunch. Okay. Like, he's strict, but only for your own good, right? Ew. I mean, yes. I like stern brunch daddies. I don't love the term SBD. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But but I do like those characters in general. (laughs) I just don't love the term that that the romance community has come up with for them. (laughs) There's um, some very brief jealousy from both of them over misunderstandings. Yes. Like, his name gets mentioned in conjunction with a woman, so she just assumes he's in a relationship. And she's there to meet a person, so he assumes she's on a date. And props to, you know, Nacosta. If this hadn't been a Minotaur handjob romance, I think the way that was dealt with, I would have liked in another situation. I agree. It wasn't drawn out too long. It wasn't, they didn't refuse to talk about it. It yeah. was fine. Plus, he's, he, so he has a nose ring, which is like the equivalent of a wedding ring. So, you know, she, she, it's true. If you see a dude, he's wearing a wedding ring, you kind of assume that he's married, right? Right. So but I, this is I, a little bit more just in terms of like the level of body modification, like a tattoo with a woman's name in it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not the sort of thing that he could just take off the second his relationship was over. He needs to see a specialist and have it removed. And... Yeah. Good point. Good point. I like your modification of my trope. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get it. It's a, it was a reasonable assumption that was quickly corrected. That said, it's not like he had the option of just taking it out. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how hard it is to take out. Separate. That was one of the things that actually bothered me. I had a hunch. Like, I don't know why he couldn't have just taken it out himself. But the book made it sound like he had to make an appointment and go and that it was a big procedure. So the book yeah. was acting like it was a huge procedure. But I don't know why that would be. Like, clear, you know, Meg and I both have our ears pierced. Yeah. It's not like taking out your earrings is, like, a big deal. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. Okay, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) moving on to the next trope. She is, like, the small-town girl in a big city, except Cambert Creek is not a big city. But she lives in a big city. She does. And so 
part of why she needs this job in Camber Creek is it's well, relatively close to the city and she needs it to afford her city apartment. One of the things, I'm just putting this here, I find it really odd that they made a big point of like how judgmental the city was. Mm-hmm. Like how nice it was to be in this more insular community that was more accepting where people didn't stare at them on the street. And like, isn't the number one appeal of big cities for a lot of people that no one gives a shit what you do or who you are? I mean, I think that's a big one. I I did think it was interesting because it's, I think it's a specific community where, where different kinds of people are welcome. I was thinking of it more as like, um, Martha's Vineyard, when it was first founded, there was like a whole deaf community and everyone spoke sign language, like a specific kind of sign language. Okay. Right. I'm glad glad that I brought that up because that does make more sense to me. I think I was just really taken aback by the like, they were getting stared at as an interspecies couple on the street. And I'm like, dude, I've seen people giving themselves a shower in the metro car. And like, I just moved to the next car and go on with my day. No, I mean, I did find it a little incongruous that she made such a big deal about how she was living in the big city. I think it might have made more sense if it was, like, a university town nearby, you know? Or even if, like, one of the things in this book, and I didn't need it. I want to, like, preface this statement with, it's fine that it wasn't included, but there's no explanation. Right. For all these different species or how society came to integrate or, like, even what time period we're really in. Like, this, everything is just a given. Mm-hmm. And so I think the comparison to a deaf community makes the most sense to me. Like one where for whatever specific reason, it made sense that they really found their own, en- founded their own enclave. Yeah. But you just don't have any social context for why that would have happened or been necessary in this book. No, it's true. Uh, any other tropes? Um, I would just say that, you know, workplace romance, they're trying to avoid each other romance, whatever, whatever. They're obviously trying to keep it together. And while they do have a couple of conversations outside of the workplace, the first real, like, line crossing that is not just conversational happens because he hugs her because she's crying. Yeah. And I think we've seen that a lot in not just modern, not just historical. Like, literally, I think this is a universal trope within the genre. It's, like, like universal. She's upset. I must comfort her. That comfort is going to be our first real physical interaction. It's such a good one. It I, you is. know, I don't, ha- I, 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 especially you when there's the emotional buildup to get there. Right. It's good. It's a good one. Um, so yeah, I think we've already talked about this. We probably don't need to go at talk about it for much more time, but basically if there's no monster or sex work part of this book, it's very straightforward, like boss secretary or client, um, uh, employee romance really right right let's keep it let's keep it professional maybe a little flirty and then they encounter each other at the coffee shop they have a few dates and then they start dating like literally the, the feelings they have and their emotional conflict is very normal right so i think we have two well we have we have two big things that i want to talk about yeah first let's just talk about monsters Mm-hmm. Right. Because monster romance is getting to be very popular. Not just this one. I think other monster romances are also really popular. And I mean, the most famous monster romance of all time is Beauty and the Beast. At the end of it, of course, he stops being a beast and becomes human, like an amazing human well, and he's, a prince. He's born a human. 
at the end, he's a human again. And I think the degree to which he is physically a beast, which is meant to be a reflection of his internal beastliness, does vary based on the adaptation you find. That's true. And I mean, I think the the basic metaphor or the accepted metaphor for this for Beauty and the Beast is that it's like an arranged marriage, right? A woman goes into it. She doesn't know what she's going into. She's really scared of physical intimacy. She's scared of this this man she doesn't know. And then by the end, she's like, oh, we're married. I love him. He's this great guy. So that's that's sort of the accepted metaphor for like what Beauty and the Beast was at its at its heart, right? Okay. So I'm interested in one in in looking at what what does Walter Romance say about today's dating? Because obviously Beauty and the Beast, if we're saying it's about arranged marriage, arranged marriage doesn't really happen anymore. We still like reading Beauty and the Beast because it's it's about this the beastliness of man being tamed by a woman. It's like the civil the civilizing effect of a woman on a man's beastly nature, right? Yes, absolutely. I think that still holds true. I want to just note that there are a lot of cultures where arranged marriage does still happen. So I think there is some yes. relevance to today's society. But I also think Beauty and the Beast is sort of the full manifestation of what true love can do. Like the redemptive right. power of true love. Not only does it, their first kiss transform him physically, but it's a representation of his emotional transformation. Right. And like the power of partnership and romance. To a degree, well, and I think that that's less specific, but more universal. Well, so so I'm wondering, I'd like to look at what the popularity of romance, of monster romance, is saying about yeah. male-female relationships today. And when I say today, I, you know, I'm really meaning like American, Western society, right? I mean, the only thing I can think, and this is as the one of us actively dating in a friend circle of single women, there is exhaustion, I think, right now in the process of especially online dating and sort of going through what feels like stock photos and stock answers and stock whatever, wanting a real genuine human connection. And I think combine that with, I think as a liberal woman in a city in a largely liberal circle, there is this sense that, for straight women, while we want male partners, there is something inherently scary yes. about men. One, because obviously, you know, domestic partners are the biggest threat to women's safety mm-hmm. writ large in society. But also because there's a lot of discussion about the lived experiences of women, of Black people, of immigrants of other minorities of you know the not traditionally able-bodied and there is this real sense that male privilege specifically white male privilege removes the ability of a guy to empathize like it's Mm -hmm. a rare man who really gets those conversations not from a place of performative allyship and I know you can say the same about white women in minority spaces like I'm not trying to just attack men here but I think there, if I had to stab at it, given my own lived experience, I'd say it's putting, you know, a character in a position where they're going to have empathy for mm-hmm. the stressors of being not the advantaged position in society without having to specifically talk about a given 
status or a given trait that makes you mm -hmm. othered because you can just sort of use it as a general catch-all to say he's a minotaur and then whether it's he's you know not traditionally abled or not traditionally educated or of a different race or of a different cultural background all of that can be a catch-all for minotaur yeah you know i was wondering is does it mean that in a sense, is it a metaphor for, you know, it's going on dates is dangerous these days. Like mm -hmm. any man could be a monster, right? Yeah. Um, and any woman so can be a monster too, but like, come on. <laughs> right. Well, and when we're reading monster romance, I, I cannot think of a single one that I've read where the monster was the woman. We would not be the target audience of those, I would imagine. Yeah, possibly not. But I mean, I'm just saying that... I, you know, like even even in the London Steampunk books, which I really enjoy, there's not one where the woman is the vampire, the man is not. Right? They could right. both if, be if vampires. It, if, right. Yep. They could both be werewolves, but there's mm -hmm. not one where the woman is the one in this sort of monstrous but also slightly privileged position. Because being a monster may, gives you these special powers. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the, he's a minotaur, but he's also super strong. But he is othered and stigmatized. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's both at the same time, which is yeah. interesting. I mean, is it better to know what kind of monster you're gonna be with than to date a guy and that it turns out that he's a total asshole? I thought it was especially interesting because not just in the case of his monster cock, but when she has a female friend she meets in this town who's a vampire this vampire takes the time to explain to her about like the different male anatomy in the different mm -hmm. humanoid species. And so like the real symbol of their monstrosity is this thing that would generally be hidden from her. Is the dick. Yes. Is, but she's only aware of it with Minotaur specifically because she works at a Minotaur handjob farm where, Oh, and just, just for like basic outline, why is there a Minotaur handjob farm, Meg? Because Minotaur semen is an essential ingredient in Viagra. I mean, she doesn't use the, the, the brand name Viagra, but she calls it the little blue pills. And we all know what that means. We all know what they are. So, yeah. Um, that's, I, I thought it was really interesting that the most monstrous part, for all that there was, like, obvious physical differences for all of them, was their penis. Ziz, mm -hmm. in some case. Well, and but that's what Violet wants to know about too, right? She's like, I see what kind of monster he is on the outside, but what kind of monster is in his pants? Yeah. She's a good segue into what she's doing. This was one of, so just general disclaimer, this was too much for me in a lot of ways. Like, I'm just <laughs> not, it was too, there's a part where he's going down and they're talking specifically about his cow face. And I'm like, I can't actually, like, I'm disgusted right now. The cow was, tongue, that was a bridge too far for me. <laughs> that was just, it was too much. And I, but this part where she's, her job and the nature of her job and the way the author talks about her job also, like, totally lost me. Right. So her job is to give hand jobs to minotaurs. Apparently, I have not looked this up and I'm not sure of the vocabulary, but apparently this also is almost a one-to-one -one correlation with a, with a fetish out there which is like a, a milking thing like they basically do what the, she did to the minotaur 
but like actual dudes do it and it's, it's like porn out there oh okay that's the extent of my research listeners because i did not want to mess up my search history. Sorry. Oh, I would absolutely. I'm going to do this later. I like have to understand. I'm just trying to understand where that, frankly, this differs from a hand job fetish. Because it needs the table, the accoutrement. Oh, so it's like a medical hand job. Kind. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you start. So she's hired by the milking farm to give hand jobs to minotaurs because apparently. The hand that the, they collect more of the vital ingredient when a professional is working the penis and the machinery. Yes. Which, okay, I just want to point out that, like, there are medical professions that require the collection of semen, sperm banks, for example. Right. And no one goes in and jacks them off to make sure of an uncorrupted sample. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it doesn't seem like this is a rare commodity. Right. There's like, yes, yeah. Valuable. But I don't really understand why like getting 24 ounces instead of 22, especially when you're only paying them by the ounce, to let them jack off themselves would have been that huge of an issue. So, like, first of all, just the principle of, like, this is vital work was difficult for me to grasp onto at all. The second layer is that she and all of her coworkers and everyone they talk to make a big deal out of how, like, this is a profession, this is not sex work, this is not sexual. And for a trillion reasons, it absolutely was. Right. That was honestly probably my biggest issue with this book. Because the rest of it, I was like, okay, whatever. Like, this is a fetish kind of thing. This is a, you know, this is a monster romance about giving someone hand jobs. So the rest of it, I'd be like, fine. But, but Nascosta puts in the mouth of several, well, two characters that this is not sex work. And I was like, but this is sex work. The whole point of sex work is that it is work. And it should be treated as a profession. If someone chooses to engage in it, it's not because it's not not sex work because the because you're not getting off, right? That's exactly it. Like porn stars are not having sex with people out of love and because this is a personal relationship and they turned the camera on, <laughs> right? Like they are there to have sex with a person they have been paid to have sex with. It is a professional transaction, even if an orgasm is involved for one or both parties. Like, it's not something they're doing out of sexual desire. Right. Therefore, it's sex work. Right. And um, she uses an example of this one minotaur who's married and he's coming in to give, you know, donate a little bit because he wants to donate. He wants to put it in his son's college fund. And she's like, yeah, this isn't sex work for him. And I'm like, but it is. Like, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't, your motives don't matter. Right. Not like, only, yeah. There are strippers who just want to put money in their son's college fund. And that's, but, or topless waitresses. And that's less intimate than this. And it all still falls in the category of sex work. Yeah. And she even has a whole subcategory of clientele who want the women to dress up in milk made outfits and I was like well then that's 
obviously sex work. <laughs> they're also tipped. Yes. So they're not medical professionals. They receive tips that are largely based on how good they were at giving a hand job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're like 100% based on how good they are at giving a hand job. <laughs> I just, like, I I think you've made a really good point here that trying to insist that because it's not turning her on and because she's getting a salary, it's not sex work is really dehumanizing to sex workers. Right. Because I, do you really think that those women who work in massage parlors and give you happy endings are, like, doing it because they love doing that? They're doing it because they get paid for it. That is sex and work. The, and they get tipped. And they get tipped. I don't know. <laughs> that was that was my biggest issue with the book. I, I felt like it really should have been handled in a different way. Completely. And there's also like, if it, she had to go through all of, I think, the mental justification that somebody who'd never planned on entering into sex work would have to in order to engage in it. Except she like validates her choice as acceptable because it's not sex work. Right. Like, girl, if you want to give hand jobs rather than moving home, I'm happy to relate with you. But don't then act like women who strip instead of moving home are somehow lesser. Like, that was the implication, and that's where I want to be like, and fuck you. Exactly. Um, one last thing before we move into content warnings and sexiness. Are there animals in this world? Or are all animal products made by a sentient half-species? Like, there's not really much discussion of food other than orange juice and coffee. Orange juice and coffee, there's, yeah. There's a brief mention of honey. It's like, okay, are there bees or are there, like, bee people? Yeah, there's a brief mention of honey. Then they go to the vampire restaurant, but they just talk about blood. Oh, he loves sugar. He starts, he eats dessert first. Like, dessert first, he's chocolate, but, like, I'm just... <laughs> But there's no, we don't know if those contain yeah. egg or milk or, like, animal products. So, like, is the Minotaur potentially, they talk about being a farmer. Does, like, he own cattle? Like, I have a lot of questions about the, like, diet. And, like, yeah. if you're eating, it's, because some of it is, you know, obviously I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. I drink milk. I eat eggs. But, like, if I knew a person I had a conversation with was the one who laid the egg. I'd feel a little weird about eating yeah. that egg. Well, so yeah. I, I just, I'm a little bit concerned that like everyone has to be vegan for their own mental health. Could be. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I don't know if she actually drinks milk because she drinks orange juice in the morning. Yeah. So it's never like, it doesn't really come up except the honey. Yeah. But it, I was extremely, extremely interested in, like... I mean, he is a farmer, so there have to be... There have to be... He well, could be a, I guess he, a cow, a corn, or vegetables, or what plant, are the words? A plant. The plants, <laughs> well, thank you. plant farmer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, content warnings. We already talked about the treatment of sex work. I think we have to talk about bestiality, because... We have to talk about what the line is with bestiality, right? I think what it's being compared to is an animal. There's my line. I mean, so that's your line. I think the other line, and I think the line that's drawn by monster romance authors and readers is sapience. If you can consent 
then it's not bestiality, right? So because Rourke is a thinking being and can consent, and Violet is a thinking being and can consent, it's not bestiality. I haven't read a whole lot of monster romance, so I can't comment, but I do know I've read like Animal Farm and I didn't want to read them fucking, and if they had, I would have called it bestiality. (laughs) So your line is the actual appearance and shape of the other part. Yeah, he's got hooves and a cow face. I'm I'm out. (laughs) I can't. This book is hard to talk about. The other partner. Not the other part. <laughs> I, so for you, this was this. So content warning. So romance. This is a monster romance, which means she has sex with a minotaur, and his appendages are very much Torian. Yeah. His face is Torian. His like he's got. Abs covered in a light hair. Yep, he does have hands. His human hands. Yeah, but they're thicker than normal human hands. And then he's got well, yeah, but I mean, so do all romance novel heroes. Correct. (laughs) And he's got hooves. Yeah, and his bottom appendages. His bottom half is basically a cow. Yeah, A, a bull. It was, Any, I don't know exactly where my line is. I was thinking about this. Like the blue aliens have tails, and I am not turned on by the tail scenes, but I mostly find them funny. Yeah, and you're like you're like, you decide it's not bestiality, is it? Because it's alien, right? Xenogal. Basically, what I'm picturing in my head is just like a person, but very tall and blue with a tail. Right. I understand there are some physical differences, but there aren't. Like it's it's non, and it's not anything I can relate it to. Right. This is like, oh, so you're fucking a half bull. Well, I mean, the only thing you relate the blue aliens to are are actual sex toys. Right. Two different. (laughs) Extremely different. (laughs) (laughs) But other than those two things, I don't think there are any content warnings. agree with you I think if anybody was offended by something it's something that they're I I don't mean this be something they were like reading into and I don't necessarily think that would be wrong like again I think if you read interspecies relationship as a metaphor for interracial there are certain things you could definitely say are handled insensitively yeah am I sure that's what this is no right so like I'm not saying it's those are absolutely it because I think there's enough going on here in terms of social commentary that you can interpret your own way. You could. But I think those are the two things that I think are, to my mind, sort of anybody reading it is going to see those things. Yeah. And I want to be clear too, because a lot of times we use this content warning section to talk about, we used to call it offensiveness, right? And we really used to talk about like anti-feminist things. Yes. And I, I don't feel like there was anything overtly anti-feminist or even subtly anti-feminist besides the sex work talk in this book. And I think it was laid on a little thick how deliberately they were trying to be feminist. Like mm-hmm. she's 
yes, he supports her and pays for a lot of things, but they have very explicit conversations about that. And even though they're super in love, she's still renting her own place to make sure she can establish her independence before relying on him. There's, well, you know, there's a whole thing about him, you know, not both of them tread very carefully in the beginning outside of the workplace because they don't want to overstep bounds. And right. The fact is they're both extremely cautious when they enter into the relationship. Yeah, and there isn't even the power disparity that would typically come from a workplace romance, though, because she's a staffer and he's a client. Right. So it's not as though he could get her fired. I mean, he might be able to, but... Like, I guess she could theoretically get him not invited back. He could theoretically report her for something and get her fired, but it's not like either of them really controls the other career destiny. Right. In, like, the very explicit way that a boss employee would delve into yeah so how sexy was this book okay this is like gonna get a little more personal than we typically do this is extremely explicit i found it not even remotely sexy so the okay hand jobs are not super sexy to me although they don't bug me as much as blowjobs do <laughs> So, like, if she had been giving him blowjobs every day, I would have been like, I'm not reading this book. You know? <laughs> it would not have happened. I would have shut it. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. We're not I'm not reviewing that one. Um, and then on her own, she sort of fantasizes about him. And then she actually looks up, like, minotaur porn videos and masturbates to them. And uh, I don't want to say that I thought that was, like, super sexy. But that was honestly probably the sexiest part of the book for me. Because once they actually started having sex with each other, it was too, too minatory. So, a couple of things. Obviously, the first half of the book is handjobs, just a lot of handjobs. And that's pretty much it. And the, like, specifics of his anatomy, its girth, its veininess, the uncircumcised head of his dick are all described so often in so much detail and I'm sorry but what I personally find sexy is not like the description of or looking at penises right uh, yeah like, I, I don't think that that is abnormal for a straight woman either yes so the fact that so much of the like explicit sexuality of the first half of the book was about like dick shape yeah. It's like a little bizarre to me. And then the second half, when, like, the realities of fucking a non-human were so explicitly on the page, I was also out. So I would say the sexiest things about this book to me were, like, the makeouts when they weren't talking about his cow face, which was, like, one time. I mean, that's, that was the issue to me. I'm going to argue that this is not bestiality. That said, the sex was very, there was such an, emphasis on, <laughs> yeah, such an emphasis on his like big wet cow nose and his big thick cow tongue that I was like, oh, oh, like you could actually imagine what it would actually be like. And for me, that was not the point of the book. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, look, there there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of hand jobs, and then in the second half of the book, 
it it was a slightly slower burn that I expected, just because I expected the second half of the book to be them fucking all the time, which it which it wasn't. But there is a lot of sex though. I, I said it's a slow, like a slight slow burn, but by saying that, I don't mean. That they I also don't just want to be really specific that like. He brings up, like, I will destroy you if we just jump into bed together. Like, this really needs to go slow. It was weirdly, like, priming a virgin for all that neither of them were virgins, which is never my favorite thing. But I just want to point out that I'm sitting there like, this is thicker than a fucking soda can. This is going to take months and several toys. And, like, I don't know that I want to read a book that's just about, like, stretching her vagina. And then it was literally just prepping her meant like fingering her for five seconds. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I didn't want this reality, but like, this is also not sufficient, and we all know it. Well, I mean, there was there was a lot of lube involved. Okay, I do give points for realism because she didn't treat this like like it was a bit like the bigger the better. This was amazing. Number one. Second of all, apparently there's an enzyme in miniaturgism that, like, fucks your shit up. So they had to use special enzyme cleaners whenever they had, like, shower sex. Or, like, in their detergents. Or, like, actual sex. Because, again, he fills up two fucking milk bottles at a time. Why were they milk bottles? There's, okay, whatever. I'm called a fetish lane. (laughs) But you're learning from this. And again, we try not to get over the personal. Clearly, bestiality is not my thing. <laughs> Shocking. You guys, thank you so much for listening. We may not have loved everything about this book, but it gave us a lot to talk about. I'm going to try to get brain bleach and forget I ever read it. After you do research about the milking fetish. I think I figured it out, though. You explained it. It's just like surgical hand jobs. Well, I think it also has the milking thing, like the machine. Got it. Okay, so machine surgical handjobs. Thanks for listening. (laughs)